Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine is Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan. And I don't have a thriving Instagram account, but maybe more so than Braden. That is Aaron underscore Dugan. You know how to use Instagram, which gives you a leg up on me. So there's, <laughs> literally so there's, so there's that. no clue how to use Instagram. I don't want to though. And I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Uh, I'll just st- stay in my Twitter lane, you know, just stay right, right where I'm comfortable at Braden Gall on Twitter. And I'm, I'm fine with that. Big show well, plan. No, hold on. Okay. You should, is the, you staying in your lane comment transferable to other things or is it only <laughs> this? Just this. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. I, I, I may just jump right to TikTok. I may just skip Instagram and go right to TikTok and just, like become an old man on TikTok or something like that. Yeah, um, that would have worked. All right, big show planned. Uh, Barton Simmons, who is no longer in the media, of course, former national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports, is now the, I guess, general manager of player personnel, something along those lines, for the for Vanderbilt University in the SEC. He's now on the staff with Clark Lee, and, and he's going to give us a, a, a really interesting conversation just about a very unique career path. That's a guy I worked with. Uh, at Rivals.com back in like 2005. I've known the guy forever and uh, excited to see him join that staff. So we're going to talk with him coming up a little bit later on. Bud Elliott, national recruiting editor, who I think is like just taking all of Barton's jobs, um, is for for 24-7 sports. We're going to talk with him about recruiting. Obviously, recruiting, Aaron, a big topic on the show today. We'll get to recruiting rankings, Bama's class, team rankings, all that good stuff here in just a few minutes. However, Fringe Element is brought to you by Jaspers. Casual Eatery over there on West End. The next evolution of the sports bar. They got a game day party pack. So you can just like check out the website, pick out all the food you want, order it 48 hours in advance or so. And they're going to cook it all up for you on Sunday. And then you just go over to Jasper's. You pick up the box, you bring it home. It's a party in a box. And all of a sudden you're, you're back at your house with a really killer spread for the big game on Sunday. And courtesy of Jasper's. So check it out. Game day party pack at Jasper's name. Top 10 in Nashville by eater, by the way, a pickup and take home charcuterie board is the best thing I've ever heard. I love charcuterie so much. Uh, so does wife, your wife. My, You're going to, you have to get, you have to get one for Haley. My wife and I agree. We do love charcuterie boards, meats and cheeses for everybody. We're going to go with uh, the barbecue pork sliders. Mm-hmm. Uh, which looks amazing. We're going to go with some queso for sure. We're some of the best queso in the city. Yeah, queso is great. We're going to do certainly chicken wing. I have to have wings. That is my number one watch a game eating food. I need to have chicken wings. I Maybe Haley's number one watch a game eat, like watch a game eat food deal with you is a charcuterie board. It just is prosciutto. Yeah, that's what it is. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's capicola. Just, but that, that's what her thing is. Something to chew on. <laughs> some... Some stinky cheeses. That's what it is. Um, no, we're and you could do shrimp. There's shrimp cocktail. There's meatballs. There's desserts for the kids and for the friends. Like you know. I'm gonna get the meatballs for sure. So we're go go check it out. Game day party pack. Because I listened to the gold standard today, and you know it may seem like based on you know Adam coming at me like that. Um, over the fact, basically essentially bragging about the drink that you guys have at Jasper's that I don't yet have, but I will like fight my way into this to get my own drink. And Adam, like, I don't know. I, it was pretty I arrogant. Felt, it was pretty arrogant. It was, by him. it was some unclassy shit. 
Wow. Adam Bingen of The Athletic. Unclassy. <laughs> Bring it. Nashville Predators beat writer. By the way, check out The Gold Standard, a great podcast by 440 Sports. A terrible podcast that doesn't have their own drink at Jasper's. <laughs> Go to kidding. Jasper's on West End. <laughs> <laughs> lots of, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, lots of space to socially distance, of course. They will be open all day on Sunday for all the festivities. And of course, uh, happy hour extended the entire day. So go to Jasper's on West End. Free parking. Have we mentioned that there's free parking? There's also that. You have for sure. Have you mentioned a rate, review, and subscribe? You missed it. Share the show. Rate, review, and subscribe (laughs) to the show. And then go to Jasper's and give them all your money. That's that's what we're asking you to do. If you like this show, go to Jasper's. And we'll, we'll hang out with you and try to get Aaron a cocktail. How about that? We will be getting Aaron a cocktail. All right. We're not going to try. Oh, oh, you mean my own one named after me. I thought you meant me drinking one. I was like, I'm definitely drinking one. Both. Both, yeah. I like that. Don't limit yourself and your goals. I would never. Exactly. All right, Barton Simmons going to join us a little bit later on, Bud Elliott as well. So plenty of recruiting talk on the show today. I do have a party etiquette question for you, even though though we're not going to have any Super Bowl parties really in America this year. Okay. Um, I'm sure some irresponsible people will, but... We will not be. It's just me, the wife, and the two little girls. So that we're getting them super hyped for the game. But I do have a party etiquette question for you later on in the show that I will ask, if that's okay. Oh, it's later. Okay. Yeah, I'll be ready for it. All right. Let, let's start with team recruiting rankings. And this is not the show, Aaron. If you want to know Johnny Three Star's strengths and weaknesses on, like, does he have good knee bend? And does he have, like, a tapered torso? And... Is he a flesh bomb? Like those are not, this is not the show. This is not the show for you. We are not going to be. Everything you just said. That's how recruiting people talk about athletes. You know, like. I know you made it like, it sounded even weirder coming from you. And you're right. It does sound weird coming from them too, but that was next level. Go on. Flesh bomb is my favorite one. That one. I I hate that so much. (laughs) I I wish I could remember who said that. I want to say it was somebody from rival. Someone legit said said that. Oh, this is how you write. All these writers, all these. I don't read writers. that. I sorry, I just don't read that. He, and now I know why. My God, <laughs> he plays well behind his pads. He's got great leverage, good knee bend. He's he's rangy, fluid in space. You know, who good thought hip, had good, good knee bend would be the most tolerable thing someone could say out of a group? <laughs> Quick twitch athlete, great short Yikes. space agility. I can keep going. It sounds so it sounds so much dumber like on television like and thank god i don't have to read that like i, I i'll just stay in my tv world can't do it I, flesh I, bomb yikes <laughs> the point is we won't be talking about <laughs> about athletes like that so if you've come uh, to the show to get our analysis on your four-star wide receiver that's going to your show that this isn't your show there are experts for that in fact bud elliott will join us later and that's what he does for a living and he's brilliant at it but that's not what we do I have one message for people when it comes to recruiting. I think there is one way to do this, and that is to pay attention to the team rankings. And if your team is in the top 15, you generally have a chance to compete for championships. If your team is not in the top 15, you probably do not. The only two teams that have made the playoff in the modern era for seven years now without a top 15 average recruiting class over the five-year span that, that built that roster is Washington in 2016 and Michigan State in 2015. Michigan State, I think, was 29th, and Washington was 25th. Everyone else that's ever made the playoff has been ranked in the top 15 on average. That, that to me, is the message to people, is if you want to go deep in the weeds and understand knee, knee bend and you know shoulder ranginess. Don't do it again. 
you can do that somewhere else. But I just think for fans, all you need to know, top 15. If you're in the top 15, you can compete for championships, na- national championships. If you're not, it's going to be an uphill battle. I mean, yeah, I think the numbers speak for themselves. And also, the only other thing you could bring into it, which I'd like to hear your opinion on this, although it's not, you don't have to harp on it, but if you're not, I mean, most of the time, if you're in a top, you have a top 10, 15 recruiting class, likely, it's likely that you didn't make a coaching change because you're probably okay, doing okay. But when you do have, you know, a decent, you know, recruiting class, but you have a, a coaching change, especially since all of these guys, a lot of them do early signing day. Do you think, do you see some issues pop up when, you know, guys come in, obviously talent's talent, but the alignment of that talent with a certain coaching staff and what they see in guys and what that relationship is like, how have you, have how have you seen that play out and affect what could be a good recruiting class? And maybe it just doesn't align with a new coaching staff or vice versa. I definitely the quarterback position, you know, like if, if you're going to go to Mississippi state and play for Mike Leach and you're a dual threat quarterback and Mike Leach takes over, it, it makes a lot of sense for you to maybe look around. Like Mike Leach wants you to throw the ball 55 times a game. So I think that position, it matters. I think outside of that, I just think good, good football players are good players and a good coach will find a way to, to work you in. What's interesting is I do think there's a few things that happen in the recruiting world. Generally, when you have a great season, it doesn't impact that year's class. It impacts the following year's class. Right. Um, When you have a coaching change, now, because of the early signing period, you know, sometimes there's a bump when you get a coaching change because people are inspired and excited. And sometimes it's the opposite. And Auburn's class is small right now. Tennessee's class is probably going to fall in the ranking. South Carolina's last right now in the SEC because it's a small class and because they made a coaching change. So maybe with the early period, it's telling us when you change coaches, it's going to immediately drop. You know you're going to lose a few players when you change coaches. But generally, yes. you, you bring on a few players. I mean, anybody who was interested in UCF, Josh Heupel should be able to bring potentially to Tennessee in theory. But the early signing mm-hmm. period has changed all of this. And I, I want to say 92% of uh, four and five star players signed in December, which is just extraordinary. Yeah, I saw the number. It was like, so- and, and it's, it creates a snowball effect too with, with certain players, like, you know, guys start leaving, making changes last minute, like it snowballs. And it's not just, you know, their friend that they went to high school with. It's, you know, the guys that they they thought could put them in a position to be successful. And those things can, you know, snowball. I guess it, what you're saying too, is that with a, with a good coaching change, the opposite can happen. So. Yeah, I think so. Like, okay, I think let's, it's let's, let's use more Auburn. likely one way than the other. I, I agree with that. Let, let's use Auburn, for example. Like, I don't know where they're going to finish, but they're 38th when we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. And some of that's because it's a small class. Some of that's because they change coaches and some of that's because of players leaving, but Auburn on average, they're, they're five classes under Gus Malzahn prior to, to Brian Harson. Like their average recruiting ranking is like nine and a half, which means yeah, it was you're six not, last year. Like you're just, you're yeah, exactly like you're just, you kind of take the hit knowing when you make a change that you're going to take a dip. It's not going to be as deep or as talented as you expected, but by and large, Auburn is a top 10 recruiter. Like I'm not worried about Auburn's recruiting just because of this. Auburn's football is not going to disappear because of one bad class. This is what, this is why I never understood the argument about Tennessee because Tennessee fans are like, no, no, we've got to sign this class. This is like, we got to get a guy right now to be our coach. Cause this is such a huge class. And I'm like, one class is never going to be more important than hiring the right coach. 
Yeah. And I think also just creating, you know, some kind of at least image of stability within the program. If it looks like it's a short term hire, like, is my whole world going to get turned around as a redshirt junior? Like, I don't know if I want to do that. So I think just an image of stability is also helpful in those situations when there's coaching changes. Like I think Brian Harson was a good enough hire that Auburn, you know, the kids committing there and the kids that are looking to commit there in the next couple of years, it's almost seems like they made a good hire they're back on their feet and they're gonna keep going forward it's not going to be this ebb and flow that some schools find themselves in totally agree. south carolina is the same way south carolina is like in the 80s nationally the worst class in the sec again very small made a coaching change but their average recruiting ranking over five years prior to this season was 20th yeah. which means they're on average recruiting about the 20th best class in the country which means they're probably going to go back up to that range, especially with Shane Beamer, who we, the only thing we know he can do is recruit. We don't know if he can do anything else, but we know he can recruit. <laughs> we do. Him not winning will not help him recruiting, but at least he can start Overrated. There. <laughs> Successful football. Overrate, overrated. Um, all right. Let, let me give Let me give a few. Before we get to Alabama's class, which is stupid. Um, so dumb. You want to give a few, a few uh, free shouts here? Okay. Ole Miss. Top 20 class last year, 39th. The year before that, 22nd, then 31st, then 30th. Their last four classes. They, they were sixth in the nation five years ago, uh, and we all know what happened with that class. <laughs> it got a coach fired and an AD had to leave and school was put on probation. But anyway, top 20, extremely good. Their average over those last five years has been, you know, mid third, you know, mid 20s, early 30s, low 30s. Ole Miss, 19th potentially, top 20 class. Excellent job by Lane Kiffin. Free shout, Lane Kiffin. Oh, and then I just have to give a random free shout to someone. I, I'm setting you up here. Don't overthink this one. You can't do – no, this is not he's – He's got a top 25 class. You're like the stock market. You're making up rules as you go. He's, he's got a top 25 class, and he's recruiting better than the previous staff by a fairly large margin. There's two of these guys, actually. You're setting me up for this. I, I mm. will say Eli Drinkwitz – Top 25 class for Missouri. They were 50th last year, 36th the year before that, 42nd, 50th, 53rd. Their average class ranking, class rank, can't speak. You got class, it. <laughs> class three, two. Leave four, it in. Class ranking, 46.2. They finished 25th. That is almost double where they normally finish in the recruiting ranking. So excellent job, not only finding a quarterback and developing him, and Connor Bazelak, but Eli Drinkwitz, free shout for doing a hell of a job on the recruiting trail this year. Okay, actually, maybe I am going to use my shout now, but I now need you got now you got it. seconds. Now you got it. I mean, someone after their first year coaching in the SEC, who's perfect and cannot do wrong, jumped from thirtieth last year to currently in the twenty fourth spot, top twenty five. Now I'm with you. Yep. Sam Pittman, obviously. <laughs> I talked about him before we even started recording, and I didn't know I was going to get another chance to do it. So here we are. I love you. You can talk about Sam Pittman as many times as you want. I, yeah, I will for sure. <laughs> so Arkansas's average ranking over the last five years, 32 and a half or so. They are in the top 25 this year. So excellent job, Sam Pittman. Free shout. I'm so proud of him. I'm going to write him a letter. Should, do you think he would be my pen pal? Do you think he'd be open to it? If any coach in the SEC sits down and writes handwritten letters to media members, I would see it being Sam Pittman. I can't see so Lynn I. Kiffin. I can't see Lynn Kiffin doing that. No, for sure not. No, he would just tweet at he would just tweet shit at you. He would just slide into your DMs, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I 
hopefully not, but it would seem on brand. So Bama, let's get to Bama here. I guess we got to talk about this and probably not the way Bama fans want to hear it. 24 seven. I mean, I'll be excited for them. If, like if I need to play that role, go ahead. No, I don't think you need to 24 seven sports named them the best recruiting class, this class, not just this year in this cycle, which is the ninth time in 11 years that Alabama has won the quote unquote recruiting national championship. This is the best recruiting class in recorded human history. 2010 Florida had been previously the highest rated class ever. This is the number one recruiting class in the history of college football, at least in recorded recruiting history. And my first thought isn't like, way to go, Nick Saban. Like, awesome job, dude. (laughs) My first thought is this is a problem for college football, I think, long term. Am I crazy for thinking that? No, because you're worried about people's passion around the sport and viewership. And this does this kind of, you can't even, I don't know if you can call it a monopoly, but I guess you could on the ability to recruit and the level that they're playing at. And you know, what they have to offer is could in a very fair argument, make this game more boring, which is what you fear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't, I personally have never cared that it's the same teams winning the games. Like I'm like, listen, if Bama and Clemson are the best two teams play Bama Clemson part 59, I, I don't care. You know, like I'm fine with that. I'm starting to change my opinion on that. Is it just because you like you just don't want them to have every ounce of talent and no matter what happens, they have someone that they can put in that slot that can perform and with the same outcome because it's making you feel like no matter what, they're going to win because their third string is like other teams, even in the SEC's yeah. first string. So you remember when we talked with, with Stephen Godfrey about this? And yeah. to, to me, it comes from a play. Like I couldn't care less if it was Alabama or mother Mary's sister for the blind and poor that was dominating college football. It's, it's just, it's it was a weird my, turn. My problem, my problem is stockpiling of talent is not good for the sport writ large. And I just don't it's also not great for the athlete. Maybe not. You might be right about that. It's not because I, we, you, you, all the bells, I'll let you finish, but all the bells and whistles of Alabama and you, you draw these kids in because of what you have to offer and the potential take home a championship. But there's kids that, want to play football and there's kids that have to play football at least in their own minds and I talk about that a lot but the bells and whistles of Alabama if you're going to be third string and never see the field that's not necessarily good for the future of the student athlete or their potential to move on in football and play at a higher level so that's that's always my first thought goes there but that's that's another layer to that that I haven't really heard talked about all that much I I think it's totally fair like what's the best thing for your career to be developed at Nick Saban's Alabama as a third stringer, maybe it is better for your career, but Could be. But, but are you going to be more fulfilled starting at Kentucky? I, who knows? Like, I don't, I mean, that's the whole Damian Harris argument. Like, are you going to have actual experience too? You can't really simulate. Right. There's only so much you can simulate that game day experience and, you know, being able to level yourself or get back to the middle or whatever I always say, but there's only so much of that you can simulate in practice. You can be developed under a really good coach, but then if you're never seen by anyone that matters in terms of the progression of your career and you don't have that actual experience on game day, you might not be able to create the career you want. This is, this is hilarious because you are immediately viewed it through an empathetic lens towards other humans and their experiences. I am exclusively viewing this selfishly through my own personal enjoyment and Alabama and Ohio state are two of the (laughs) biggest consistent (laughs) Alabama and Ohio state are the two of the biggest brands in the entire country. No question about it. Yeah. Two of the premier programs, maybe the two best programs of all time in college football, 
They just played in the national championship game and no one cared. It was the lowest rated national championship game since 2004. How many Fs were there left to give in general at that point in 2020, though? That is a very fair argument. Or 2021, I guess. It's a fair argument. Was it tied to pandemic apathy? Maybe it's fine. I think that the more and more that this sport is consolidated at the top and the more stagnant it is at the top, and we start just slicing off giant chunks of the country that don't care about the product anymore, like the Pac-12, let's say, I think that's bad for the entire sport overall. And so I, what I want to hear is I want to hear smart, powerful football people having discussions about how to solve the problem of talent consolidation. Because the more teams that are able to compete at a higher level, the better the product is going to be. It is the most capitalistic thing in all of sports, football recruiting. And the NFL has the Tampa Bay Bucks in the Super Bowl just like one year after being atrocious because it is the most right. socialist sport in the entire country. <laughs> I want more socialism in my college football, I think is what I'm saying. And that is not what I've ever said before in the past. I've never felt this way. And I think I've reached a tipping point. I think I'm ready for there to be more better teams around the country. I want that for not only the narrow vision, selfish reasons that you want it, also for the players, but it's, there are going to have to be creative ways. And I don't really know how creative they have to be, but you are going to have to quote unquote, think outside the box. Most cliche phrase ever. My dad will make a note on this. You're, you're, you're right about the outside the box stuff though, because I don't know if it's scholarship limitations. I don't know if it's budgetary limitations. Well, let's talk about what it is. I I don't know what those answers are. Like, uh, again, I'm, I've been doing this for almost two decades and I, again, I, okay, let's limit scholarships. Okay. Well, but does that take opportunities for educations away from people? You know, that that's a concern. Limiting the recruiting budget could be something that you do where everyone has the same recruiting budget, a la salary cap. You could do that, but that only, that only does so much, uh, you know, expansion of the playoff might give other teams access to the championship and that might help them on the recruiting trail spread but out also- some wealth. I don't know. Think about the implementation, though, of name, image, and likeness. So as this stuff, like those rights begin to be released to players, there's not going to be as much, you know, like the monetary value or what kids perceive value, what they think they're going to make at a certain school, isn't going to be totally dependent on, I, you know, I have to go to Alabama because I have to get recruited in the first round because I'm not going to see a dime really until I do that you know, at least according to the rules, but name, image, and likeness is going to, I think that's going to open up a lot more. I think that will help diversify things because a kid really wants to go to Vanderbilt and they no longer have the pressure of like, I really want to help pay for my younger brother to go to, to be able to have a car to go to the charter school he wants to go to, or I want to help my mom out and help her buy a house. Like you're going to be able to do that and still go to the school where you feel like you have the best fit. And a lot of that, the fit is going to come down to relationships. And in my mind, that's going to matter more. And Barton, Barton Simmons will lead us straight into this. But I think that in my mind, that's going to help diversify things a lot more because you'll be able to quote without sounding cheesy follow your heart which means if you're a fit in relationship in the schema if your position coach is the best fit for you you'll be able to do that without the pressure that the you know you have the next dime you're going to see or at least legally is when you're drafted to the nfl if you are a third string player at alabama you are not marketable you're not a marketable commodity 
when but you're a you would stringer. be as a as a starter at Vanderbilt. Bingo. Exactly. That's what I'm. That I totally agree. I, especially if you're from Middle Tennessee. Um, it's more about Kentucky and Missouri and Arkansas and Vanderbilt and South Carolina and you know those programs that I think Damian Harris is from Lexington, Kentucky, and he went and sat on the bench at Alabama. Brilliant kid. I'm pretty sure he was far more marketable, marketable right out of the gate as a freshman at Kentucky had he stayed in Kentucky. And then my first All thought right. when you're talking about MTSU, we can move on after this, but my first thought when you brought up MTSU and obviously have a Vanderbilt connection, but Emmanuel and Josh Smith, like both local MTSU kids were st- like, you know, for Vanderbilt by Vanderbilt standards, first of all, they're both standout people, but they were good players. And, you know, being from the area, they can catch people's attention because people were raised watching them and they could have, you know, it, it just, I really do think that this was the right move, not only from a moral standpoint, but I do think that it's going to help at least somewhat alleviate this issue. I, I think these are four or five or six good uh, options, but I need people in charge who are smarter than us, who have more power than us to sort of, I want to hear these conversations out loud from people yeah. that, are, that are actually in positions of power to change this stuff. And I'm with you on the name, image, and likeness. I am. I, I think it's the right way to go. It probably means expansion. It, and it probably means a bunch of smart people being super creative to come up with ways to spread out the stinking talent. You, because, need, you could also be more creative and come up with good options if you would maybe defer to the kids who are picking the schools. So maybe get some kind of committee together or at least take opinions from the kids who are actually making this decision and don't put a bunch of people in the room without yeah. them. And I don't know. I think, I think it could help. That's fair. We'll see. Just th- things to think about here on the show today, you know, just, just for thought. All right. All right. So we got Barton Simmons coming up, who is now on the staff at Vanderbilt, Bud Elliott from 24 seven sports, the national recruiting uh, director. We'll do talk all about that. I also have a party etiquette question for you. Yeah. When are we doing that? Coming up a little bit later on as well. Okay. Fringe element is brought to you by Jaspers. Jaspers is a casual eatery on West end in Nashville brought to you by the wonderful people at four top hospitality who have, three decades of experience of creating fantastic cuisine in Nashville. You got etch, Amerigo, char, etc. It's a Deb Paquette menu. It's very smart. It's elevated bar food. It's a, it's the next evolution of the sports bar. Fantastic place to go watch a game in Nashville. You got great food, tons of space, 9,000 square feet. You got free parking. There's free parking. You mentioned that there's free parking and we're trying to get Aaron a cocktail at Jasper's. So when you go to Jasper's, be like, hey, is there a Dugan yet? I don't know. What, are they, what do you want to call it? I don't know. I need to think about that really long and hard because who knows when this opportunity is just going to slap me in the face. So last week on the show, I, I thought maybe five foot, five foot two brunette or whatever, <laughs> whatever your friend called it. Um, you could do something. Like, are you a tequila? You're a tequila drinker. And yes. do you like gold or you like blanco or you like gold what's your favorite Blanc, more of a blanco girl okay so there you go let's come up with something yeah with some spice in it <laughs> i don't like sweet might not come as a shock to so, you so this spicy blanco there we go no well then come up <laughs> with a name i'm going to i didn't even know this is a possibility it's things are just opportunities are just coming at me and i'm i'm caught off guard <laughs> free shouts and Sam Pittman. Tequila drinks and Sam Pittman. Uh, Oh my God. Maybe I should think. Never mind. I have an idea. Keep going. All right. What's the part? Are we doing party etiquette now? uh, No, I'm going to ask you about that later. Okay. 
But the party, the game day party pack is available from Jasper's this weekend for the big game. They're open all day on Sunday. And of course, uh, extra happy hour uh, scheduled times. Normally happy hour, I think is four to six, but they're just doing it the entire day. So you can just go out there and, and just drink all day. Good happy hour there and do the pregame, watch the game, all that good stuff. But if you don't want to go and you want to bring the party to your house, then you, you go to Jasper's, you check out the party pack, you order by Friday, I think you need to 48 hours in advance. You can pick between meatballs, barbecue sliders, shrimp cocktail, charcuterie, cake, charcuterie plates, brownies, cookies. Some, cookie, some cookies look like little footballs. Uh, and then there's uh, and then there's some chicken wings. <laughs> Don't ever do that again. <laughs> have you not seen Ace Ventura? I have, but like I didn't see the connection. Was it Pet Detective or regular? Yeah, Ace Ventura Pet Detective, the number one, first one. Remember, he's yeah. going to find Finkel and Einhorn. He's going to find out who the kicker is. And he goes into this kid's oh, room. Oh, yeah. And the mom pulls the tray out and she's made little little football cookies. And Maybe I wasn't ready for you to be funny and it came as more of a shock than you would like to think it would. Oh, I, I'm, I'm always shocked if anything funny ever comes out of my mouth. Uh, it's not giving yourself quite enough credit, but. Oh, thank you, Aaron. Go to that's Jasper. Nice, that's actually the nicest thing I ever said to you. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I just need a second here. I'm a bit of a clumped. I wasn't used to somebody saying something nice to me. <laughs> that wasn't even that nice. Yeah, you're God, like, it's so sad. It puts things in perspective for me. That, like verbal you, affirmation is not my love language at all. And nor my wife's. So cool. Yeah. Um, it's problem. It's all right, Jaspers. Uh great food. <laughs> great, great place to watch the game. And of course, you can get the gold standard cocktail. We're working on a fringe element cocktail. But go order your party pack, of course. Go to Jaspers. Great folks, great menu, great food, great place to hang, great place to have a drink, great place to watch the game. So check it out. Jasper's on West End. Martin, great to see you, man. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. I know you and I have known each other for a very, very long time and have done about 4,000 interviews together, but never quite like this. So first of all, congratulations on the new job and let's take everybody through that process first just real quickly tell everybody your new job description and what the conversations were like when you decided to transition from the media into the the actual sports coaching side of things yeah uh i am general manager of vanderbilt football it was it was look i mean i think in terms of the transition to get to to this and and i guess i'll get to the job description in a second but uh i know clark lee well we've you know we grew up together played college football together i'm sorry played high school football together and we've always stayed i mean we we're you know close we've always stayed in touch and we've always communicated in terms of like how we see this recruiting stuff work and 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 we've always been very aligned in terms of our vision for how to best build a program and Clark has long been on the track to be a head coach. And he's long said, when I'm a head coach, I'm going to take you with me. And I've long said, good luck, man, <laughs> because I, <laughs> I kind of like my life. Uh, I kind of like my, my city. I kind of like Nashville and, and, and all that. And so the stars aligns, right? And he gets the job at Vanderbilt, a place that I've long had a lot of belief in and an affinity for in a town that obviously I love. And, and, and he is a coach that I have, you know, beyond our relationship, he's a coach that I have an incredible respect for and turn and belief in. And so 
he offered me the opportunity and it really wasn't, it wasn't a hard decision at that point because this is something that is really invigorating and exciting for me in terms of being able to be on this side of it, execute a vision, be strategic about it and, and, and be invested in it, be invested in the people in this building, be invested in the players, this place, get to know these kids and, 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 and see them develop like that all like that's a rewarding side of this of this sort of business that I've I've been able to see and and report on and observe and comment on but like to be able to be part of that to be able to build something and 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 just help build something like I couldn't be more excited and energized about it I don't know correct me if I'm wrong but your role in the media sort of always was a little bit of the gray area between the coaching and the football you were on fields most of your career. You, you know, you weren't in, you know, in TV studios, although you did that too. Yeah. The, the question is sort of, I, I guess, how, how valuable do all of those other experiences you have make you unique relative to maybe your standard coach or your standard personnel guy, your standard ops guy that's kind of come up through the traditional ranks? And, and why aren't more schools looking at people like you and your skill set and what you can bring to a program? Yeah, I think, honestly... I think as much as anything, one of the things that allows this position to make sense, both for me and for Coach Lee, is the trust. Like we, I just don't know how many, you know, it, it takes to, to, to make that higher. There's got to be a really strong trust. Um, and, and, and I think that that, and, and on both, at my end too, like you, I have to really trust in, in the head guy. And, and, and so I think, as we see this evolve and people continue to think outside the box, like I think there's no telling sort of what, where this position goes and, and what support staffs continue to evolve into. And, and that's, what's kind of fun is, is there is an element of that and, and what's the way this building is being built and some of the people that are being hired in here, uh, a mental performance coach, uh, you know, the, uh, has just been hired uh, in terms of a player development role, like just some of the different ways that this the support staff is being built out, I think is 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 part of what makes like it speaks to kind of the, the vision and in, in, in my role as well. It's just sort of look, we're gonna we're gonna canvas this thing at Vanderbilt football in a in a really comprehensive way. And I hope I hope that my addition is is beneficial. But I know just in looking at the other people walking in this building, looking at the you know us busting at the seams in terms of office pace you know, this, this thing is, is being built in a really substantive way. And like, that's what's, that's what gives me a lot of energy and enthusiasm and optimism about what's to come. Well, and it holistic is the term that comes to mind Yeah, when you're looking at the development of a young man from age 18 to 22 or whatever, it's about a holistic approach to their entire life. How would you describe Clark Lee's leadership personality? I, well, holistic is a great way to describe it. Uh, another way, a couple other things come to mind are uh, substantive, authentic. You know, this is not like he's never been a guy. Like, he is the same person I've known since we were in sixth grade, and 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 that is one of the best human beings I've ever known. But you know, I, I say this, I've said this to recruits this cycle, and as as, we, as I've been talking to, to to kids, is like, you know, Clark has had fifteen players drafted at linebacker position in 15 years as a coach. That's not because he's really good at, you know, line, like creating linebacker drills. 
it's because he is really invested in not what they are on the field, but in them as people. And I think when you are invested in someone as a person, that's when you can really pull the most out of them. And so, and I think that's the way we're going to recruit. That's the way we're going to evaluate. That's the way we're going to, like, this is going to be a developmental program. People get in this building, they're going to get better. That has been a staple of Coach Lee's existence. It's, it's been a staple of the other coaches that are being hired in this building. And so, you know, with that, I think it's just couldn't be more like, you know, like optimistic about how this thing is going to operate. Because look, I mean, look, Vanderbilt is not, you know, there, there's not ever going to be a bunch of just five stars walking in the door at a place like Vanderbilt. So when they walk in the door, like we have to be confident that they, these guys are going to get better every day. And I think that that's what this program is going to bring, you know, to the city and to the SEC. You mentioned already talking to recruits. You guys all jump in with the early signing period being the way it is. You have to jump in sort of not even midstream, but almost like the end of the stream to some degree. And, you know, the previous staff have put together a pretty good class. Yeah. We'll get, to, we'll get to some of the specifics on those guys in just a second, but you know, what is it like for you jumping in midstream again, basically at the end, a train moving hundred miles an hour. What are the conversations like with, with kids that are, you know, already enrolled that are committed that are signing, you know, and what are those conversations like on, Hey, here's, here's what Vanderbilt football is like. And, and here's what we're going to be doing. It's been fun to present Vanderbilt to people, but, but to present it in, in, in a little bit of a new way, you know, everyone has got a difference approach from a recruiting standpoint, whether it's James Franklin, Derek Mason, Bobby Johnson, you know, everyone's going to, going to come at it from a different angle. And, and Vanderbilt has a lot of really strong attributes, obviously. I mean, this is a, this is a great city, a great degree, great conference, great human beings in this, in this uh, university. I think, you know, as we've talked to kids, I think one of the things we've really been emphasizing is look, there is a lot of, of value and benefits of Vanderbilt. You know, the degree is going to set you up for the rest of your life. The city is the best city in the SEC. I think it's the best city in the world. But that's all a bonus. That's the cherry on top. Because why you should come to Vanderbilt is because we are going to produce you as an NFL football player. And we want you to want to play in the NFL. We want you to want to come here because we have got a staff built in this building that is going to give you the best opportunity to play in the NFL. You know, we're, we're hiring guys with NFL experience. We're hiring guys that have developed NFL players. We're hiring guys, like I mentioned earlier, we're, we're hiring a staff that's going to support you in a totally comprehensive, holistic way. And so the degree and all that stuff is awesome. And it's, and it's there for you when you're done with your football career, whenever that might be. But we believe that we can give you an opportunity to make that NFL or, or, or football career last a really long time. And so I think that that angle of it is is an authentic way that we're viewing this. And it's a it's a and, and I think that that is something that isn't pushed enough at, from this place is, is, look, we have all the aspirations that everyone else has in this conference It's going to we're going to have to approach it a little bit differently. But we have every belief that we can build a roster of pros at this place and Vanderbilt's done it before and we're going to do it again in, in, in an even more, I, I think, uh, substantive way.
What, what is Vanderbilt's recruiting base? Having both visions of it, right, from the, the media side and now from internally, how would you describe Vanderbilt's recruiting base? I think you have to learn from the past a little bit. And, you know, I sit and I've got up on our board right now just where has Vanderbilt's NFL football players come from? And it's Tennessee. It's Georgia. It's Alabama. It's our footprint. And so there's a Vanderbilt is an attractive place and it takes a special person and a unique person at this school. And those people can be anywhere in the country and we're going to be open and, 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 and active and in, in finding those people anywhere in the country. But I do think it starts at home. It starts in your backyard. It starts in your footprint. We are fortunate to be a centrally located city in the most talent rich area in uh, for football players in the world on planet earth. And so what, you know, let's, let's be willing to take a long trip out West or up North, but let's understand that, you know, four hour drive away from us, you, you can, you can hit a rock at, at a bunch of really impressive, really special football players. And so I think that's, that's going to be the foundation of the way we approach it. Well, and that, that leads us into this class, of course, a, a top 50 class. Again, the previous staff gets a lot of credit for, for the guys that they collected, but you guys jumped on and, and, and now have to keep it all together and, and appear to do a really good job of that. You, as you mentioned, eight kids from Georgia. You got three from Bama, a couple from Tennessee, a couple from Florida. I mean, again, the majority of the class is from this footprint. I know you went hard after the line of scrimmage. You got a lot of defensive linemen, a lot of offensive linemen in this class. Uh, sort of brag on those guys a little bit and, and some of the pieces you're excited to get onto campus soon. Yeah, and look, you, you're right. I mean, the, the previous staff and, and a bunch of recruiting guys that I got a lot of respect for, Austin Everson, Eric Lommers, Corey Phillips, you know, those guys did a great job um, getting this crew in here. And, and you know, the, the most of the work was done here for this 2021 cycle. And uh, we're excited about the guys that are coming here. You know, we've got, as you mentioned, the defensive line was, was you know, and, and Javon Hay, did a fantastic job recruiting that group. Uh, Marcus Bradley, uh, Tank Sugik, and, and, and some of these other guys are, I think, guys that can help us. Offensive line uh, is another group, as you mentioned, that we got some good numbers at. We got some big bodies. You know, that's going to be important and, and continue to get those guys developed. You know, I think that there's, you know, we were able to land some, some good players from within the state of Tennessee. That's always going to be important. And I think we addressed – you know, got a few playmakers at the skill position, you know, and, and, and that's on both sides of the ball. And I think that that's, you know, the SEC traditionally is this line of scrimmage league and that's not changing. And I don't claim to say that that's not still important. It is, but more and more, we're seeing it every year, you better have some dudes on the perimeter that can get after it and make plays. And so, and you better have some dudes on the perimeter that can, that can stop somebody. So, I feel like, you know, that's an area that we're that, that, that we've got some some real opportunity coming in in this class as well. So, you know, we're excited. This is a group that is, um, you know, so a bunch of these guys are already on campus and, and, and that's and that, that's a huge um, head start for them in terms of getting them prepared for the fall because we're going to need them um, and we're going to need everybody in this building to be pulling in the same direction. I'll, I'll ask you this one here, Barton, to, to leave you. National Signing Day, certainly the one in February is not like it was when you and I got started in this business way back in, you know, 15 years ago. But has it been any different for you? Like you've been covering this stuff for so long. You've been in the trenches for so long. 
was National Signing Day just like when you woke up that morning? Was it just any different for you at all? Any different vibes, different stress levels? It's it's very different on this side. Like I, I, it's going to be interesting when like next December, when the you know a class that I built relationships with over a long period of time, you know, is is sort of coming to fruition. And um, this is this is a very different experience at this stage and things. And really, honestly, the past month has been a whirlwind in terms of us getting new coaches in the building, us trying to get our processes in place. Just, there's just, a, there's a lot of fire hose drinking in this place. Uh, and, and, and so we're, it's, it's been, um, signing day has been at the forefront of our minds, but in, in a, in a very different way than I'm used to it being. And so I think, I think next, next year is going to feel a little bit different on that end, but uh, th- this year I've gotten a little taste of maybe kind of what's to come in terms of some of the, the conversations that we've had and, you know, some of the recruiting that we've, we've, we've had to get into and, and do, but we, we got to get to work now and get going on 2022 because uh, that's going to be the first class of the Clark Lee era in a, that we've recruited. And I mean, we couldn't, couldn't be more energized and, and ready to get to work on it. And now you can't say a single name. You just rattled off names your entire career. And now you can't say a single name. I tell you what's what's tricky. I'm I, you know I'm used to just sort of throwing out little like pot shots on Twitter and just sort of like commenting on stuff. And now all of a sudden I you know if I'm not careful I'm going to throw out bulletin board material for somebody or or a recruiting violation or something else. So you know it's it's a different world here now, and I got I got some getting used to to do. But I think I'll I think I'll figure it all out. Yeah. And you got a lot of people rooting for you, man. So congratulations. And thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time. Uh, excellent class uh, coming in this year. Again, I know you guys will have your full full deal next year, but uh, I think a lot of people in this city are excited about what you guys are doing. And, and uh, we'll talk soon, man. Good to talk to you. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And thanks for the, the platform, because I think Vanderbilt football is going to be a fun, a fun place to be here for the next next few years. So uh, I hope everybody gives us a chance to jump on board. What do we do? Anchor down. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. You got it. Thanks, Barton. I appreciate it. Man. All right. Thanks, man. Special thanks to Barton Simmons from the Vanderbilt coaching staff now, the general manager of player personnel for Vanderbilt and Clark Lee in the SEC, making a very unusual career transition. And we really appreciate him giving us a few minutes of his time. I and we used to have, <laughs> you know, back in the rivals days, we used to have, you know, burger eating contests and play pickup ball and um, it's, it's awesome to see where he's gotten and, uh, he's earned every bit of it. And I think there's a lot of people in, in Nashville, Tennessee that are rooting pretty hard for Barton and Vanderbilt to, to be successful with that new staff. And, uh, we'll see what happens with those guys. We'll see. It, it's a definitely different approach to the game, a, a more holistic pr- approach to, to coaching college football. And, and I think it's going to be really, really interesting and fun to watch them, uh, sort of, uh, you know, grow up and mature into their roles, uh, as all of those guys are. Head coach and, and, and coaching staff on down. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, all right, Aaron and I had an opportunity to talk with Bud Elliott, 24-7 sports recruiting editor across the board about all things SEC and recruiting in college football. Well, Bud, always good to talk to you, man. Happy National Signing Day, later National Signing Day. I'm not sure if it's the National Signing Day anymore. Um, but I wanted to get your, your thoughts because you are sort of the, the creator of this concept, and I have been preaching this gospel for many years, and that is that there is a, a blue-chip level you have to be at at college football in terms of recruiting to be competitive on the national stage. Can you sort of explain your theory behind the blue-chip ratio and, and what it means for college football teams? 
Sure. So first of all, glad to be on. Um, I back in like 20, 2008, 2009, I, I sat down and I looked at the recruiting profiles of all the teams that had actually won the national title. I said, okay, like what, obviously there are some that recruited very well. There are some that recruited just, you know, just well, but w- what is that minimum threshold that you have to hit if you want to win the national title, right? Like it's not a guarantee that you'll win the national title. It's not even a guarantee you'll meet the, you, you'll, you'll hit the playoff, but we can safely say that if you don't hit the blue chip ratio, you are not going to win the national title. And back in the day, this was much to the chagrin of TCU, Baylor, Oregon, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan State, those type of fans, because they they thought that they had a real shot to go. And, and my point was, guys, that, that 12th and 13th win are the hardest wins to get. And those are the wins that you've got to have the studs for. And not just the developed studs, but the guys we ID'd as studs coming out of high school. And so what you need to do as the bare minimum is recruit more four- and five-star players than you do two- and three-star players over the previous four years, you know, the recruiting classes that make up your current roster. And, and that that has that ratio has held now for, for well over a decade. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's backfit, obviously. I think there's some chance it could get busted at some point. It came really close with Mariota. But recently, it's it's actually gone the other way. Like, like it, it has been even more of a, of a determinant. Uh, and like this year and last year, all four playoff teams, not just the team that actually won it all, but all four playoff teams were, were very safely inside the blue chip ratio margin. So uh, recruiting is, is very important. You know, if you're trying to win the national title, Braden and I talked a little bit about this earlier, Bud. But just the as we move forward into the future, and I know we can we can go back and kind of break this down a little bit more after. But as we as we move into the future, what do you think that name, image, and likeness is going to do to that distribution of blue chips? Is that going to help us kind of even things back out? I, I actually think it probably will help to even it out some. I, I don't know that it is going to create. A dramatic shift, uh, but but I think that there are some players uh, for whom an individualized pitch, you know, maybe at one of the schools that I mentioned before, right? Like schools that we know have a lot of money, have a lot of successful alumni in business, maybe a TCU or a Baylor or an Oregon, right? To where maybe they they're going to be able to get a kid who would have been like the sixth or seventh best player in Alabama's class. Maybe he's going to go there because he wants to be the, the you know the, the top dog there and the top marketed player there. I, I I think if I was betting on it, I would say it's it's more likely than not that it will even out, you know, the the, the talent base for for some places in the sport. I, I don't think it's going to cause drastic changes, but I, I have a hard time thinking that it's going to like I don't think Bama's all of a sudden going to go from signing fifteen of the top ninety guys in the country like they did today, right? There's only so many. Even if you have all the money to just kind of rig up sponsorship deals, there's still only so much exposure everybody can get. And I do think the exposure element of this will, will matter when it comes to sort of you know, post-grad marketing for you, which is what you're trying to build in terms of building your brand in the schools. What's interesting is it, it feels like there's a lot of things that you could sort of like that. It's, it feels like it's nibbling around the edges to some degree, right? To solve the problem of stockpiling talent or... How do we spread out the talent? Because I, I've never really cared who played in the national championship game. If it was the best two teams and it was Clemson, Alabama, part 112, like I didn't care. I, I just wanted to see the best two teams. But I'm starting to, to come around on the idea that it's bad for the sport to have large cross-sections of the population not care about the product anymore. 
I, my question is along the lines of name, image, and likeness are what, what mechanisms in the recruiting world could be tweaked or changed to allow for, for that talent to be pushed outward to other programs? First of all, I, I think a lot of this, honestly, like I, I don't know that the talent is that much more concentrated at the top of the sport now than it was when, when we were kids. I, I think really what we're realizing now though, is, it used to be most fans didn't care about the national championship. They, they intrinsically, I think they knew that their team wasn't going to win the national championship. I, I forgot who the guy was that tweeted at me today, but he said, man, I love college football. Cause you get a team from Wisconsin and a team from Minnesota playing in the game in the snow over a, a fake ax. Right. And like, that's awesome. That, that that's, that's the quirkiness that we love about this sport. But now with the advent of the playoff, I mean, every other commercial is, are you in right? Like, are, can, can you make it to the playoff? Like, like, ESPN, because of their rights deal and because they have the broadcast rights to the playoff, they've made everything about the playoff, right? And I think in making everything about the playoff, it has created sort of an exclusionary mindset and, and sort of a binary, did my team make the playoff or, or, or did it not? And I think it, it sort of establishes the idea that if you don't make the playoff, you're irrelevant. And for a lot of fans out there, their team's never going to win a national title. And that's just fine. They can still enjoy the sport as it is, I, I, which is why I'm – actually kind of a proponent of expansion of the playoff, because I think if we're going to have this mentality that playoff, 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 we need to trick fans into believing that their, their team actually has a shot of making it in. Like, let's just be real. Like, like we, we have to somehow, you know, create this smoke screen. They have a chance if we're going to make it all about the playoff. Um, otherwise I think we, we do risk losing fans. As far as like recruiting mechanisms, you don't really want to go cut scholarships. I, I don't think and cut down to what, 75 you're already 85 we already cut in 92 i maybe what you could try is something along the lines and i know kansas proposed this a couple of years ago and, and this could be to help teams rebuild faster might be to have a rolling number of players you can take over a multi-year period right now you can only take 25 per cycle kansas following charlie weiss they, they were in such a big hole as far as scholarship count they just calculated it was going to take them years to even get close to getting back to 85 they propose basically like, let's be able to take 50 over a two-year period. If that means we want to take 35 one year and 15 the next, maybe that can help teams not reach the mountaintop, but like not be quite as bad as they are for such an extended period of time. There's downsides to that too, though, because if you have a staff that's on the hot seat, they don't care about next year's class. They're going to go all in you know, on, on yeah. this year's class to the extent they still have room in, in their overall cap. Well, let's take a look at the SEC then, and let's just look at the new coaches. You know, Shane Beamer, we don't know if he can do anything but recruit. We know he can recruit. He did an excellent job at Oklahoma opening up some new paths for Oklahoma to get some players. Josh Heupel's classes within the AAC were concerning, if you're a Tennessee fan. Seventh in the AAC, UCF is the Alabama of the AAC. They should be able to recruit at the highest level in that league. Josh Heupel didn't. Brian Harson's never recruited down in this territory outside of one year at Arkansas. Um, and then Clark Lee, he's never been a head coach. What, what do you make of the four new guys and their prospective recruiting ability so no coach who's in year zero or year one has a top 15 class as of this recording i think that says something and i think what it says is all these coaches guys who just coached their first season at a school and guys who only been at their school for six weeks none of them have been able to get out and meet prospects right i bet you most of these kids that south carolina is going to recruit never heard of shane beamer i bet you most of the guys tennessee is going to recruit have never heard of josh heupel before they were hired brian harson probably the same way Clark, Clark Lee, maybe some because Notre Dame does recruit 
you know, the Southeast more than they used to. I think South Carolina essentially just punted on this recruiting class. They're, they're electing to save spots. I mean, they have what, 13 kids. They, they could have taken, you know, 25 to me, that suggests they'll take a lot of players in the transfer portal. Uh, and if you take a lot of trans- players in the portal for one year, well, they're probably older, which means you're going to have more playing time to sell to high school players in successive classes, which is probably what, what their plan you know, is going to be. Uh, with Heupel, I mean, they're, what are they, sixth in the SEC? But if, if you take off the kids who have already asked for their release, right, Dylan Brooks and uh, was it Cody Brown, I think, that's two more of their four stars gone, including by far their, their best player in Brooks, that they would drop down to, I don't know, I, I, it's hard to know what to think about Heupel. Clearly, Tennessee got a lot of no's, I think. I mean, like they could say that they, they got their number one choice. But if he's your number one choice, he's on the plane with you when you get hired as the AD since you worked with him and you were his boss. He just, hey, let's go, right? But I think Heupel can sell some tickets and have an exciting offense there. I talked to Ralph Russo on the AP podcast yesterday, and I just said I, I, I have a hard time seeing the same guy rebuilding Tennessee being the same dude who gets them through the coming sanctions. Like I, I think that'll be two, two different coaches personally. Which is why the buyout was pretty smart. It's not. It's not so crazy they can't afford it in four or five years. Um, Clark Lee, that's a hole, man. Like this Vanderbilt team was one of the worst SEC teams that like any of the advanced metrics have ever seen. So he could make huge improvements for Vandy, and they could still be bad, right? Like going from terrible to bad is actually a pretty decent step, and that would be very impressive if he's able to get them from that kind of you know one fifteenth in the power rating range to. I don't know, 90s, high 80s in, in one year. That would be incredible. I, I think they'll do a good job recruiting because of the contacts they have. Obviously, they hired my friend Barton Simmons who, to, to run their recruiting now, as well as a pretty experienced recruiting and staffing, you know, scouting staff there. They seem to be spending the money internally, which is you know, kind of a question I have, but it seems like, they, like they're, they're spending the cash. And with Auburn, like, what's the argument for Brian Harson to be better than Gus Malzahn? Or do they just want change just, just for the sake of newness? I think Gus Malzahn was fine. Beat Bama three out of five times. Go to the national championship game. Win sixty five percent of your games. That that's the guy they just fired. So I like Brian Harson. I think he's a hell of a coach. But yeah, right. Well, they're looking at every coach compared to Nick Saban. You're like you just judge. They're not judging their coaches off of you know, even the. It doesn't seem like even off the rest of the SEC. It's just like who's going to be Nick Saban and to take a leap and say that Brian Harson is closer than Gus Malzahn. I I think is maybe a little bit you know of a misstep, but. We'll the see. one thing I did here, sorry, sorry to cut you off, Aaron. No, you um, didn't. The, the one thing that I did here from a guy I, I consider very connected at, at Auburn was that they were very concerned about the direction that recruiting was going in the state of Georgia, right? They felt that they were always the number two team recruiting in the state of Georgia, which for a lot of like the last two decades has been true. And there's that famous story of the Auburn coach telling the, the kid from Georgia, well, hey, son, you're in luck because Auburn's an in-state school, right? <laughs> you know, because it, it is so close there to the border. They have, what, one signee from Georgia, I think, this year? One? That's not good. Georgia did eat their lunch in-state for a second consecutive year, and they did slip pretty hard. Tennessee out-recruited them in Georgia to some extent for the last couple of years under Pruitt. Clemson certainly has out-recruited them in Georgia for the premier prospects. Mobile, you know, within their own state, is more contested than ever with LSU recruiting well, A&M recruiting well, and, of course, Bama's not really going anywhere. You know, if they look at the risk board and they see their territory starting to shrink a little bit, I, I can see the argument for some newness. I just don't know if I buy the argument that Harson is a big time upgrade over Gus. I think Gus did a fine job. Sometimes you just need change, I guess. And Mike Bobo's recruited a lot in Georgia, right? <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, that that felt like the boosters might have nudged him along a little bit into that that uh, that direction. You think they might have some influence there <laughs> at Auburn? <laughs> hey, I think Kevin Steele should. I think they should hire Kevin Steele as the DC in Tennessee. You're going to pay him anyway. It's one of the few times I'm okay with the school sort of saying, eh, you know, why don't you, why don't you keep this guy around a little bit, just give you some experience, and uh, I don't know, I don't That's, mind. You think Hypo wants that? Uh, probably not. Yeah, probably not the guy who. Uh, has planned a few coups in his day. So, <laughs> um, oh, all right. How about Lane Kiffin? We got to talk Lane Kiffin. I got to ask you about Lane Kiffin. Um, and I know, I, I know that Aaron wants to ask you about Sam Pittman and, and she's in love with Sam Pittman. No, but. I don't have any further questions about Sam. I know how I feel. Oh, okay. <laughs> Are you anti Sam Pittman? Absolutely not. Oh, okay, cool. I was like, I, I love him. He's doing fine. I talk about him all the time. No, it's unhealthy. It's actually an unhealthy yeah. obsession with Sam Pittman. I want to be his no, pen pal. But, but you, made a, you made a great point about not having a chance to in-home visit and talk to actual people. So Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss class, kind of well overachieving the normal Ole Miss levels. Ole Miss is sort of, you know, in that mid-30s, low-30s normally, you know, a couple of Hugh Freeze classes notwithstanding for obvious reasons. But, you know, top 20 class potentially this year, is it because, A, his offense – I mean, his offense is fun, but – it's because he has this larger than life personality that people, that kids just know that they just know who Lane Kiffin is. Is that part of the success? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely part of it. So I would say it's three things. Number one, normally taking 24 players is not considered a large class, right? But this year we're going to see maybe 300 fewer players sign at the FBS level from the high school ranks. So 24 is definitely a large class uh, relative to you know the rest of the country this year. So they are, in some ways benefiting a little bit from quantity in terms of, of the rankings for them. But there is definitely a lot of quality here. I, I think when you look at that, he, he did a couple nice things to to separate himself. They, Ole Miss's defense was horrendous, right? But their offense was fun as hell. They, they, they were in some exciting shootouts. You know, Florida for probably, what, 40 minutes of that game. Uh, Alabama was you know, fairly close. I mean, I don't think Ole Miss ever had, a, had the ball with the chance to tie the game, but at least they kept going back and scoring it. And they made Bama play their starters for the whole game, which is – more than most teams could say. They did a nice job of flipping MJ Daniels from Mississippi State, a, a player who can really come in and help their defense, probably a corner. Uh, Dink Jackson is a guy that I know some schools in Florida liked, uh, but they kind of liked him at linebacker and they weren't really sure how big he actually was. And this was a casualty of not being able to see these guys in person, right? It's like, how big is he? Is he 170? Is he 190? Like, you know, what's the frame look like? Uh, but Ole Miss plays that three safety defense. I think that's a nice fit for a player they went and got out of the state of Florida. And they were willing to say yes to take his commitment early on, and then he stuck with them. Um, Luke Altmaier, they flipped from Florida State, right? That's a guy Mike Norvell and his staff really wanted and, and had known since Memphis, and he ends up staying closer to home. Again, I know Andrew Ivins wrote about, about this for us, our, one of our, our Southeastern writers. He said, look, look at the schools that had talent close to home. For the most part, those schools kept that talent close to home. Miami beat a couple kids this year that you know major Southeastern Conference powers wanted because they were able to go over and visit Coral Gables three, four times, but weren't able to get up to Athens or Tuscaloosa or whatnot. So having Luke Altmaier in your backyard, and, and you know he's from Starkville, but obviously Mississippi State was looking in a different direction. That, that was pretty helpful. But I, I think establishing the identity, doing some of the things that can help you stand out when you have a, a record like they did, wearing the Mary Flipmas shirt, right? Throwing your, your, your play sheet up in the air to where the TV cameras catch that. Like that's, that's the kind of stuff you need to do to, to attract attention if you're not winning and it won't work forever, but early on, it, it, it certainly worked, I think. I mean, they have one of the highest ready classes for anybody in their first or uh, you know, year one or year zero. All right, ask about Sam and Eli. Go ahead. 
I mean, I have a pretty strong opinion, but no, I think they, but they both did a really good job. We were talking earlier about, you know, their ability to pull in recruits as only having one year under their belt in their particular positions. And I mean, of course I have a favorite of the two, but I think it's something to look at because although they don't have, you know, they had really good seasons for being where they are for the first time, but do you have a strong inclination about what what allowed them to be able to do that, to pull those guys and to be in the position they are going into this coming year? So they, they did a decent job, you know, in, in their own backyard. Um, But they also relied on contacts that their staff had, you know, speaking about Arkansas here in, in other areas, right? For instance, where was Kendall Browse before this year? He was the offensive coordinator at, at, at Florida state. He's, he's seen Raheem Sanders, one of the better players they have, they have in their class who I think actually, could be a nice two-way player for them, and he won't play both ways. But he has positional versatility where he could probably play you know, either side of the ball. Like he's he's seen a guy like that, right? Like they were recruiting Tykeus Crawford, the, the the transfer they got from Charlotte, back when nobody thought Tykeus Crawford was going to qualify, and then he ends up qualifying, going to Charlotte for one year. And talent-wise, he's you know, six five, three thirty, and can I mean three thirty is probably too big, but he can move for three thirty. And sh- those kind of guys don't go to Charlotte, right? So when he got back on the transfer portal market, it's like, oh, they have a real shot to, you know, to, to take him. Um, I, I think those relationships were, were pretty important. They also established an identity on offense, and they were able to look not great on offense all the time, but competent. They, they, they play fast. They spread the ball around a lot. And defensively, you know, they were one of the most passive defenses in the country. But I think that worked for them because they just basically said, we're just going to wait you out, right? We're just going to be patient as hell. And there's a certain amount of humility required to play that type of defense, I think. Everybody wants to play that classic like 2008 LSU defense where you're just, we're going to man up, we're going we're gonna to send it every time. But if you ain't got the dudes for that, you're going to really suck. And Arkansas <laughs> definitely doesn't have the dudes for, to, you know, to do that. And so I, I think that they, they played smart to their personnel. They were able to kind of create their own, own little niche with, with kind of the, with, with, with the Pittman aura there. And I, I think it played well for them. You know, the issue is, you know, the, the thing is, if you're top 25, how many schools within the SEC are, are over you and within your own division, right? The, this is the problem for Arkansas. It's, it's you have to play. Yeah, you're behind Ole Miss. You're like fifth right now, basically. Yeah. And they're not, they're not like crazy behind Ole Miss. You know, they're like, like right, they're, right. they're kind of neck and neck, but they're, they're way behind. I mean, LSU, Bama and, and, uh, and A&M. I mean, how many of, of the kids that Arkansas or Ole Miss signed? Would would Alabama or LSU or AM take? I mean, even Auburn, nor, nor, normal Auburn would be right. way ahead of you too. That's mm-hmm. the issue. It, it, it's you're stuck in a really tough division for both the Rebels and the Hogs. It, it's a good year is pulling an upset against one of those aforementioned four and finding a way to sweep Mississippi State and Ole Miss if you're Arkansas. You know, and then hopefully you get a decent East draw where it's not like this year Arkansas got kind of screwed. I thought ha- having to play. <laughs> you know, Florida and Georgia, hopefully the conference kind of gave them a little wink, wink agreement and said, Hey, do us this favor this year. We know you're going to suck next year. We'll give you something that's not, uh, not Georgia, Florida, but always a pleasure, man. Love talking with you. Check out all his work, 24 seven sports. You got all the podcasts, all the great stuff there. Um, we do appreciate you, man. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Enjoy, guys. Special thanks to both Bud Elliott and of 24-7 Sports and, of course, Barton Simmons, no longer of 24-7 Sports, uh, who is now on the Vanderbilt coaching staff. And a couple of quick observations for me, Aaron. Number one, with Bud, 
And I guess this is obvious, master of the obvious stuff, and I just hadn't thought about it, but we are now entering a whole nother cycle where new coaches have never been able to go on the road and recruit. And so the more established you are, the more high school coaches you know and parents you know and all this other stuff, the easier it's going to be to recruit. And I just had not even thought about, you know, a first-time head coach like Shane Beamer has never been allowed to not even at Oklahoma wasn't allowed to go visit kids all year long in 2020. It's just crazy to think about that. And just to, you know, be interesting to know if that, how that affects, you know, who they choose as their position coaches, or if they move forward with the same ones, do you need people that are more local? Are you, are you messing yourself up by uprooting someone from your former school that has no ties to your new low to where you are locally now? So it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out and if that changes the game at all. Uh, I've got a party etiquette question for you in just a second. Um, I've been waiting one, this whole time. I know this is, I'm just teasing it out here, but the, op, one of the things that I think Barton Simmons hire at Vanderbilt as unorthodox as it may seem is that, and you heard Barton explaining it there, that there needs to be this, like you need to cast a, a wider net as far as bringing people in to help athletes develop. Like we, you've got to, like we already know in the last 20 years, we've added nutritionists, right? Like nutrition's become a big thing. Then you've got, we already knew strength and conditioning was a huge thing, but now you need mental strength and conditioning. Now you need personal growth and development. Now you're bringing in a guy with media experience with like Barton Simmons has like, you have to have sort of all of these different buckets filled. If you truly want to holistically develop an 18 to 22 year old into their best self and their best self is going to make them the best player. And I think that's a, that's a sort of a new ish way to look at it. I think. And, and convincing a 17 year old that their best self or not that they don't, realizes but reminding them and showing them that their best self is the goal and that's going to get them to where they want to be long term as we mentioned earlier you know lots of glitz and glam not lots of bells and whistles at a lot of these big time schools but as you know somewhere like Vanderbilt if you have someone in place and you have the larger staff in place to make sure these kids know when they come there that they're going to get the full package that when they go back to these other schools they realize that maybe a part of that package is missing that's going what's going to be what gives a school like Vanderbilt a leg up yeah it'll be really interesting I, I think it's yeah. a smart approach I, I think it's really smart I I, I think ha like again Travis Haney used to write for ESPN he's a friend of mine he's been he's at, he's on Will Healy's staff at Charlotte as like a media cons consigliere, like having a guy or a woman who is just sort of steeped in media is an advantage. That's an asset. And again, we, we know that coaches use psychological, like team psychiatrists all the time, right. Or psychologists yep. or whatever. Like we know there's a team psycho like sports psychology is clearly a thing, but it's yes. more than that. Now it's nutrition. It's, it's like every aspect of your life can be sort of like, you know, molded and, and propelled if you have the enough people in place and Vanderbilt's spending money on it, man, for sure. Your, your relationship and trust with the media is also going to fare well as, you know, we mentioned in another context, but as you, your ability to use your own name, image and likeness, your relationship with the media is going to become progressively and exponentially more important. And I think someone in place like that could really help these kids on an individual level. You know, we were talking a lot today about how to level the playing field. If I'm a Vanderbilt or a Kentucky or a Missouri or a South Carolina, I am telling kids that they can major in football. Like, I don't know why you can't do that. Like, how many different jobs could you – you could become a trainer. 
You could become a coach. You could become a nutritionist. You could become a, a sports psychologist. Like you could be a major in football, yes. just major in your sport. And if I'm Missouri and I can sell that as a degree, wouldn't you be more interested to come to Missouri? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, we're just throwing stuff out there today on the show. <laughs> it, it is hard. It is hard because everybody that plays football, their first thought is that they want their, they want to play it for as long as they can. But yeah, I mean, I, I think knowing that that, you know, opportunities there could extend into a lifelong career in the sport. I mean, it can't hurt. Well, media training, nutrition training, strength and conditioning training, yep. life organization. I mean, it's all the stuff. I mean, it's, yeah, you're right. Stuff. Um, all right. Uh, Special thanks to Jasper's, our, our, our sponsor here on the program. Fringe Element brought to you by Jasper's again. Uh, wonderful place to go eat over on West End. They've got the game day party packs available right now. So go order those for the big game coming up this weekend. Uh, we're going we're gonna to do chicken wings, queso, chocolate chip cookies, and barbecue pork sliders. That's what we're doing. I'm definitely getting charcuterie, probably meatballs. And I don't. I really would like to know if they would bring me their margaritas that they do on draft, but I have a feeling that's going to be a tough sell. So just all the meats you just give me, you just want all the meats is what you're saying. Yeah. I didn't really realize it sounded like that, but yes. Yeah. So a meat plate and a meatball, that's all you need. And you're good to go for, for a Sunday afternoon football. Okay. Got it. Yeah. I feel good about that. All right. Party etiquette question brought to you okay. by Jasper's. <laughs> This is a sponsored question. Yes, you. Okay. We used to have parties where people gathered and exchanged, you know, commentary and, and good times. Normally, yes. that happens this weekend. Yes. So, what is the go-to methodology to get people out of your house at the end of a party? <laughs> what are some tricks when you are done hosting the party and you need to signal to everyone to? GTFO. In my head right now, I'm trying to think what a normal person would do because I know exactly what I would do. I didn't ask Should... a normal person. I asked you. Oh, I would just be like, I, re I really would like you guys to leave now. That's legitimately what I would do. You would just tell people... Get out of would, yeah, because I, I feel like I get away with more than I should because I'm always joking around. So people are like, haha, that's funny. And I'm like, but they know I'm kind of being serious. So I'd be like, yeah, no, but like, seriously, like, just go. But I would make it funny, but I would mean it. And then they would leave. Okay, you're married. You're hosting a dinner party. I'm not doing either for of those things, your husband's work people. So mm -hmm. you, the point is, you can't be yourself. <laughs> you can't just say <laughs> that's so offensive. <laughs> no, what I'm saying, I'm saying you have to be on. You have to be, you know what I mean? Like you're, mm -hmm. you're entertaining, right? Like professionally. Okay. I, I might go change into pajama pants, come back out, start cleaning the dishes. I feel like that's a good trick. That would. Get that's not clean. subtle at all. You might as well just be straight up. It's like that's an that's just more annoying. Like if you're gonna do that, be like, thank you for coming. My dad I mean, and parent, my dad and mom would always just be like, thank you for coming, thank you for coming, and like shoo people towards the door, but do it very very out in the open. Um, so maybe that's where I got the blunt approach. I don't know. I think maybe just dishes in general without the pajama pants would be like the most normal. Um, to me that probably if I've reached my threshold is going to take longer than I want it to. So I might just. It's a clear tell. signal though. If you see someone. Yeah. The dishes. dishes it's yeah. Like, Get out of here. Mm -hmm. start putting or just food. like hide the rest of the booze. Start. Yeah. Start putting food into the, into Tupperware containers. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> Packing it away. If you take the food and the booze away, the people will leave quickly. I imagine. Yeah. Especially the, yeah. I'd go booze first and then food, but yeah, it, people just trickle out after that. Oh, well, special thanks to Bud Elliott and Barton Simmons and go to Jasper's our wonderful sponsor 
Brought to you from Four Top Hospitality. Three, three decades of experience of feeding Nashville people with great food. So go to Jasper's, check it out. Lots of space to socially distance. They're open all day on Sunday. Happy hour all day. Special occasion. I don't know if there's anything happening on Sunday or not, but they decided to just have happy hour all day. I like so. that. Special thanks to Adam for starting a war. Let's get Aaron a cocktail, okay? <laughs> all right. That means we're done. <laughs> Special thanks to Jasper's, our title sponsor here on Fringe Element. Her name is Aaron Dugan. My name is Braden Gall. Thanks to Barton Simmons and Bud Elliott as well. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the weekend, the last football game of the season. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Give me a cocktail.